our, our presbytery sent out a commission to help us organize City Light Church. They interviewed our elder candidates. Uh, they've walked us through this whole process, and they're with us today uh, to ordain and install uh, our two elder elects. And to uh, bring us the word of God is Reverend Jason Mather. He is a pastor at King's Church in Long Beach. It's a thriving church. It was planted in 2005 by Pastor Jason, and it's a beautiful church that's doing kingdom work in Long Beach. He's also uh, one of the leaders of our M&A in our Presbyterian. They help plant churches all throughout L.A. He's been very instrumental. He's been a, a big encouragement to myself. He's not only bringing the word, he, he'll be also overseeing the ordination and installation of our elders. So during this time, I'm going to bring up Pastor Jason. He's going to bring us the word of God. Thanks, Dennis. So it's good to be with all of you. I'm going to read for our passage this morning from Ephesians 6. I know your bulletin, I think, says chapter 5. We are in chapter 6. I want to read verses 10 to 20. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I have three children... Uh, my family and I live in Long Beach, and uh, my middle son just promoted from fifth grade. Maybe if you have kids, you've, uh, it seems like these days they're promoting or graduating at every age. And uh, I saw uh, some Twitter comments on this about preschool graduation. One parent was like, what are they graduating from, nap time? Uh, another uh, person tweeted, nothing says false sense of achievement and unwarranted success like a preschool graduation. Uh, and finally, a, a father tweeted his thoughts at his daughter's preschool graduation with this. This is a meaningless honor that won't help her in life. His wife said, so it's like your English degree. <laughs> no offense to any of you here who might have studied English. Now, we can argue whether preschool graduation is important, but what is not up for debate is the importance of what's happening here today and what we're celebrating with this organizational service. Friends, there's good reason to celebrate. Uh, This has been a long road 
for Dennis and his family, for some of you here who have been with him through all the ups and downs, and we are giving thanks to God's faithfulness and his care to you, this church family. And I'm here with these other brothers from sister churches in the area to celebrate with you, to walk with you through this process, through this service. Now, for a church to organize, just to give you a little bit of context, Dennis was called by uh, the other churches that he were connected with to to come to downtown Los Angeles and to uh, start a community of believers and to raise leaders, lay leaders who would help Dennis lead you. Now, that is not an easy thing to do. And, and we are here, God, uh, God has worked through Dennis and through all of you to bring us to this point. And so it's a time to celebrate and be thankful. And yet, I want to give a sobering reminder this morning, not to damper down the, the celebration, but simply to say, we need to be reminded of the dangers that are ahead. And so I just want to give three uh, points this morning to walk you through uh, from looking at Ephesians 6. The first point will be this, that you are in danger. Uh, the second point, but God has provided you protection. And the third point is, so be diligent, not afraid. So let's go into it. You're in danger. The Hibernia oil platform, maybe you've heard of it. It's in uh, the North Atlantic it's built to be an artificial island. It's not intended to move. And the reason it was built that way is because it's, what, it's in what's called Iceberg Alley there in the North Atlantic. The icebergs that travel those waters can be as large as ocean liners. And 16 concrete teeth surround the Hibernia, and they distribute the force of any iceberg that would hit it throughout the entire structure and even into the ocean floor. So the Hibernia was built to withstand a one million ton iceberg, which only comes along every 500 years. And in fact, designers claim that this oil platform could withstand uh, a, a collision with an iceberg up to six million tons. Now, those only pop up every 10,000 years. Now, even with all of these protective measures and its structure and how it was built, the operators of the Hibernia uh, take no chances. They don't even allow any iceberg to get close to the platform. Radio operators uh, work with ships, and any iceberg that comes within 27 miles, if they're large enough, they're lassoed. By these ships and pulled out of the way so they won't even come close to the platform. Now, if any get through and they're smaller, they use high-pressure water cannons to move them out of the way. Now, what's clear with the, from the designers and operators of this massive oil platform is that they take the threat of icebergs very seriously. They take every precaution. They, limp, they uh, implement rigorous protective measures. And friends, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wants you to do as a church of Jesus Christ. 
You are in dangerous waters. You are in dangerous waters. Paul believed the threat was very real. And, and again, I, I hope this is a hopeful message. It's not intended to bring you down. It's intended to say you're in danger because you're a threat. Because God is working here. The kingdom of God is, is being experienced and felt here. And so the evil one sees you as a threat. And, and Paul says in verse 12 of our passage that you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, some Christians don't like this kind of talk, and they interpret Paul's language here that he's talking about evil institutions or unjust systems of authority. But the New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold argues that Paul's making it very clear that the greatest enemy to the first century church was not the Roman Empire. And was not any civic leader. Rulers and authorities for Paul. It was an expression used for demonic spirits. And Paul doesn't want the church to fall into the trap of underestimating the threat. Uh, Clinton Arnold warns that the danger of minimizing the reality of spiritual supernatural beings. Makes us more vulnerable to their attacks. It causes us to be less vigilant, less reliant on prayer, less dependent on God, and less dependent on spiritually gifted fellow believers. Now you have arrived at a great moment. You're organizing as a church. It's something to be proud of. It's something to, to feel uh, some, some pride about. However, however, the danger is still real and maybe even more so now. Because of the place that God has you. So you're still in danger. So let's keep that in mind. You're still in danger. But God has provided you protection. Paul says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now I want you to notice that when he exhorts us to be strong, he's exhorting us to be strong in the power of another. It's a passive voice. To be strong in the Lord... Now, we as uh, 21st century young professionals, educated, very competent, we tend to think that we can do it and that it's about being strong in and of ourselves. But this appeal was common to Paul. He appealed the same way to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that it is, that is in Christ Jesus. And so I don't want you to think Paul is saying, be strong, tell yourself you can do it, look within. That's the message you get in the culture, in the society, at work, wherever you are, at the bookstore, all the self-help books tell you that. Just look within. All the kids' movies, I've got three kids, every movie is about just look within your heart, you can do it. Not the gospel, not Paul's message. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord, be willing to admit you're not enough. Be willing to admit you need God's strength. Have that posture as you guys move into this next phase of ministry in the power of His strength. If you don't feel like you're strong enough, that's exactly where you need to be. That is a good sign. 
Now, that's an important spiritual principle I think we should always hold as Christians that the more capable we feel as human beings, the less likely we are to admit we need a Savior. In other words, theologically, we might put it this way, the higher your anthropology, the higher your view of human beings, the lower your view of Christ. But as you elevate Christ, you begin to see, gosh, I need him. I need him. And as you understand yourself and your own weaknesses, the glory of who Jesus is becomes even greater and the cross becomes bigger. Notice who Jesus went to in his ministry. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus went to the lame. Jesus went to the sick. Jesus even went to the dead. Do you ever feel dead spiritually? That's exactly who Jesus went after. So if it was true that God only helps those who help themselves, then Paul would be leading us astray here, and he's not leading us astray. He's telling us the very thing we need to do, and that's to realize we need the strength of another, not our own strength. It's a very important starting principle for you guys to understand if you're going to enter into this topic of spiritual warfare. Find his strength. We're strengthened in the Lord. We're strengthened in that daily relationship. And so Paul tells us in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. To put on here is language of clothing. Paul's telling you to put on this armor. Uh, Similar to what Paul was talking about, if you've read Ephesians 4, he says there, put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There it's, it's about your identity. There you put on by faith the identity of Christ. And it's almost like this new robe that you, you, you put on. It's how you understand who you are, your identity in Him. Not in your performance, not in your career, not in your money, not in your looks. It's in Christ. He wants you to put on that armor And Paul describes that armor various ways. We're not going to get into detail on all of them. We don't have enough time. But the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, for example, think think of how he describes the shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is simply trust. Trusting in another. The shield of faith is trusting in Christ. So when the, the fiery darts come, and remember, the devil's name slanderer, liar. So when the darts come, the fiery darts are going to tell you you're not good enough. The fiery darts are going to tell you God condemns you. The fiery darts are going to tell you, you know, you need this thing to make your life worth living. And when you hold the shield of faith, what you're doing is saying, no, Christ is what I need. I stand in Him. I do not stand condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am a child of God. I hold on to that firmly, and I trust that. And the lies of the devil are not going to hold my heart. They're not going to destroy me. I'm going to stand firm in those truths. That's the shield of faith. And Paul's calling you to hold on to that. Don't allow the evil one shoot his darts at you. Hold that shield. That's just one of many. So so just to summarize, 
you're in danger. God has provided you perfection or protection. Christ himself, a relationship with him, the gospel message, that you're worse than you could ever want to admit or even know, but you're more loved than you could ever hope for. That's your protection. But finally, be diligent. Be diligent, not afraid. And Paul, uh, Peter, if you're familiar with Peter's letter, later in the New Testament, Peter says this, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Many years ago, Mark Buchanan, who's an author, pastor, at this point in his ministry, he was a youth leader, and he had invited the pastor emeritus at their church. You talk about senior pastor, Dennis. Just wait till you become a pastor emeritus. <laughs> That's really old. And uh, he, he, he asked this pastor to speak to their youth about the devil. Now, Buchanan described this pastor as a man suitably ancient, with snowy hair, gravelly voice, wizened skin, and, and Buchanan had high hopes of this deep talk with profound insight from this seasoned warrior. But he said, basically, this experienced pastor said that in over 50 years of pastoral ministry, he'd come to the conclusion, the devil hates people. Now, Buchanan was like, wait a minute, is that all? I mean, he wanted Greek words parsed. He wanted Hebrew uh, words explicated. He wanted obscure texts uh, exegeted. But all he got was that simple truth, the devil hates people. And Buchanan reflects on this, and he says, after 22 years of ministry, you know, I realize, yeah, the devil hates people. He came to the same truth, and he put it this way. He said, or more precisely, the devil hates God and resorts to when any terrorist with a powerful enemy does, he goes after his loved ones, wife and kids. The devil's hatred of people is an act of transference. It's his bitterness toward God aimed at what God loves most. Oh, if that doesn't melt your heart, what will? That doesn't cause you to flee to your father, to hide in Christ. Be diligent. Realize that your father wants you to be in relationship with with you. So when Paul in our passage talks about being diligent, I love how he wraps that portion up. He says, basically, be diligent in prayer. Be diligent in prayer. If you leave with anything from what I had to say, pray, church. Pray. Be diligent in prayer. There's a story told of a king. Uh, his name was Ethelfrith. This was many centuries ago. He was a, Paxon, uh, a pagan Saxon king of Northumbria. I don't even exactly sure. Some of you can help me with that after the service. Uh, but many centuries ago, this king invaded Wales. He was about to attack the opposing army. And the Welsh were Christians. And as the pagan king was observing the army of his opponents, he, he spotted this group separated from the army. They were unarmed men. And he asked who they were. And he was told they were the Christian monks of Bangor praying for the success of their army. So Ethelfrith immediately, understanding the seriousness of the situation, ordered, attack them first. 
And that's exactly how the evil one views a praying church. A praying church is the greatest threat to the lies of the devil. And Paul tells you, church, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. You know, I hear Paul's words and I'm reminded of Jesus speaking in the garden to his disciples. What does he say? He says, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Because Jesus had asked them to pray with him. Jesus' crucifixion was coming the next day. Jesus asked his his friends to pray with him and they fell asleep. And he says, could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I tell you, I need that story because I am like Peter. And so are you. And we need the kind words of Jesus to hear when we fail in this. To know he doesn't give up on us. He never gives up on us. Tim Keller describes prayer this way. I think it's helpful. He describes it as both conversation and encounter with God. Conversation and encounter with God. And you don't need the right language to pray. You don't need some title to pray. You don't need to attain a certain level of spirituality to pray. One of the things I love to do if I'm with a group of people, and normally because I'm the pastor, you know, if we're at a meal or you know, people will look at me, and I'll I'll usually assign it to somebody else because <laughs> I don't want people, I don't want people to view prayer that way. I don't want people to view prayer as something only the really spiritual people do, or those who have attained some level of spirituality. It is something you friends can do now. Wherever you are on your faith journey, maybe you are not a Christian. You're here. You're like, can I pray? Yes. Yes, pray. God hears you wherever you are. And if you are a Christian, especially you are in Christ, you are a child of God, and your Father loves to hear you pray. Pour out your heart, your concerns. You know, sometimes if I'm walking, one of the things I like to do to organize my prayer, and there's lots of ways you can organize your prayer, but I think about what am I thinking about, what am I feeling, and what do I want? And I just pray through those three things. What am I thinking about? What's on my mind? What emotions am I feeling? And what is it that, my, that I want? What are my desires? And that simple formula or format really is helpful to structure because sometimes you enter into prayer you don't know what to pray for but paul tells us here pray at all times with perseverance he tells you how to pray he says pray in the spirit and that's a great encouragement for us church for those of you who you feel like you don't know what to pray um one you know in referencing the romans 8 passage if you're not familiar with it there Paul talks about the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't have words. The Spirit of God intercedes for us. And one commentator put it this way. The Spirit stands by the side of believers to, prom- to prompt them to pray, to direct them who to pray for and how to pray 
as well as energize them in praying for themselves and others. What a great encouragement. The Spirit is next to us when we pray. Um, and so prayer is this key ingredient, friends, uh, for, for being strong, being alert, um, keeping watch, putting on the armor of God. I think so much of it comes down to prayer. And, and I want to end with this little section here it talk, where Paul says, pray, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, there's lots of things for you to pray for, and you should. You should pray for everybody outside the walls of this church. Please be praying for them. But notice Paul says, pray for one another. It's one of the things when I do premarital counseling, I tell a couple, if you learn anything, take anything into your marriage from what we've talked about, it's this, pray together. There's no, I cannot pray with my wife when I'm mad at her. <laughs> well, I can because I, I do it all the time. But uh, it melts my heart really does and brings me to repentance if I sit and hold her hand and pray with her. Pray with each other. That's what Paul wants. That's, that's how you, you protect one another. In community, praying for one another, making supplication for all the saints. And notice, Paul asked for prayer in this passage. Paul had a mission. He was preaching the gospel in some very dangerous places and, and dangerous areas. And he says, pray for me. Paul understood the super apostle, right? Paul the super apostle. He understood he needed prayer. Do you? How often do you ask people to pray for you? And I'm not talking about prayers because you have the sniffles or prayers because, you know, you're hoping to get this promotion. I mean, pray for those things, right? Pray for those things. But what about the deep things in your heart? What about the deep desires that you have? What about the things you're worried and scared about? What about the things that are very vulnerable for you to share with others? Are you asking people to pray for you? Are you leaning into that as a community? Friends, be the church and pray for one another when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're struggling, when you're scared, when life feels like it's more than you can handle. Reach out, say, pray for me. And not just Pastor Dennis, not just your new ruling elders, but each other. It shouldn't be on them alone. It's a community act that will keep you alert, that will keep you strong. Pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this chance to come together and celebrate as the body of Christ for what you have done and who you are. May this community, City Light, be diligent, see the threat, but not be afraid. Because they know, Jesus, you are king. And you have won the victory on the cross. And you've defeated death by walking out of the grave. So we can rest and we can have hope in the victory you have accomplished. Enable us to live out of that victory, Lord, with power, with joy, as we seek to love you and our neighbors. All that we are, we pray in your name. Amen.